Hello, and welcome to Mother Daughter Earthcast, a show that will help you navigate the eco world and live a more colorful and conscious life. We'll inform, inspire, and embolden you. And most importantly, we'll have fun along the way to a more planet-caring lifestyle together. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Mother Daughter Earthcast. This is Mariana. And I'm Jenna. And today we will be chatting with Matt Stubbs, the senior associate at Kevin Sloan Studio here in the Dallas area. And this actually is a somewhat of a continuation from the last episode that y'all heard, which was our chat with the um, volunteers on the North Haven Trail. Yes, a friends of the Friends of the North Haven Trail. Yes. And I don't you may or may not have, you know, listened to the episode or you may or may not remember, but we chatted a fair bit about how they are going to be rewilding the area around the North Haven Trail. Well, Matt Stubbs, who we are interviewing today, works with the studio that created the master plan for that rewilding project yes bring it around full circle look at us i know matt uh, matt is a landscape architect and the kevin sloan studio they do some amazing work some of my favorite landscaping projects around dallas have been done by them Mm -hmm. and that is coming from the plant lady herself (laughs) yes i have that that, that, i have a very high bar (laughs) she does have a high (laughs) bar y'all every time mom comes to my house to visit and sees my yard i'm always taking her to the pretty parts i'm like oh look at this look at that look how great this is doing (laughs) all your your y'all's yard looks fabulous mariana but it is actually looking pretty beautiful right now for people who don't know me i am extremely design oriented yes and i really appreciate great design and the kevin sloan studio and the people there just do a great job with landscaping and wildscaping and all everything they do over there yeah they do and they're very mindful about the process too which we definitely got to hear more about that from matt but it's really this high level view of how is this space going to work not only with the environment that's existing but also with the people that are going to be using the space and how to optimize that and they're all about fostering that connection which we all know mom and I are gung-ho about fostering connection with the natural world so obviously we were we we loved chatting with Matt about that and whenever they're doing wildscaping they're not only thinking about how the people will interact Mm -hmm. with that landscaping but they're thinking about what animals and insects and whatnot that will be interacting with that landscape too which is a whole new idea yes it is and one thing that I loved that Matt said he and this is probably not a direct quote, but I'm paraphrasing here. He said that you don't need to reinvent. You just need to rewild. And I loved that. And I won't give it away, but one of the biggest aha moments for me as a Texan, at least during our chat with Matt was how he put into perspective, how much land we have per person in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And Again, for, to me, that just highlights the responsibility that we have with the space in in our metroplex to create an environment that's conducive to the native flora and fauna. So, okay, that's all I'm going to say about Matt. And stay tuned to the end, actually, this time, because he has the funniest saying ever. I am not going to spoil it, but I bring it up often with mom now. And so Matt was, he he gave us a zinger at the end. Whenever I asked my final question. The question. So definitely stay tuned (laughs) for that. And of course, as always, if you enjoy our episodes and you like the content that we're putting out there, we really would love you to head over to patreon.com forward slash mother daughter earth, where you can support us in a variety of ways. And of course, 
um, any likes and reviews or sorry, ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts is very helpful for us. So take a couple of minutes and go tell us how much you love our podcast. And it's always much appreciated. Mom, any fun stories before we go into Matt? Hmm. Oh, I went to Mississippi last week. Oh, yeah, you did. And visited some friends uh, that I've known for decades. They used to live in Tom, uh, Tompico. Well, actually, they still do live in Tompico some of the time. But they have a home in Mississippi. In fact, Mariana and I went over there about a year and a half ago to help them uh, do some landscaping on their yard. And I mm. went over there to do some fine tuning and had a great time. So that was fun. It's always nice to go to a, a new area of the of the states. Get out a little bit. Y'all, she had a cold and shouldn't have been driving, but you tried telling mom not to do something and let's see how that works out for you. But I was like, mom, are you sure you don't need to stay home at rest? and rest she's like no no i'm going to mississippi it's gonna be great and she was she she was a little sick but she's feeling much better now i am i and i had a great great visit that's it and in the meantime she gave me the cold she had she gave my brother the cold she had gave it to my husband we all have it yeah well, i was typhoid I'm good now. i was typhoid mary <laughs> but we are good good to go okay mom i don't really have an update um, i'm sure i've done something fun but Let's just go ahead and go go straight into our conversation with Matt Stubbs, the senior associate with Kevin Sloan Studio. Well, welcome to another episode of Mother Daughter Earth, and we are thrilled to have Matt Stubbs with us today, and he is a senior associate and a landscape architect with the Clev Kevin Sloan Studio, and I just I've heard about the Kevin Sloan Studio for quite a few years now. And I actually heard Kevin Sloan speak at the Native Plant Society meeting one time and was just enchanted by what all he was talking about. In fact, uh, quickly went over to Fort Worth so I could go to the Airfield Falls uh, Park that he that that uh, the studio where you work y'all had developed. And anyway. Uh, before we start talking about all the different projects and all the wonderful things that y'all do, uh, Matt, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself and how how you got interested in this work and tell us the type of work that the Kevin Sloan Studio does. Yeah, um, it's kind of a, I'll tell you myself, I'm a, a landscape architect uh, at Kevin Sloan Studio. Um head project manager, um, head of business development, head of business operations. And I've been with the firm for over six years now. Um, we were founded in by Kevin Sloan and, and his uh, wife, Diane Sloan, in 2006. Uh, we're a pretty you know, wide-ranging uh, firm in terms of uh, we do a little bit of everything. We do everything from the redevelopment of a, you know, 18-hole golf course to the, you know, helping people, our local neighbors out here in Oak Cliff with their uh, front yards. So a um, little bit of everything. And then um, in terms of the rewilding uh, aspect that we've been doing, um, it, it's kind of an interesting story, and I'll try to keep it as short as possible. Um, but it, it, it's not necessarily just my story, but the firm's story. Um, so, a few years ago, or probably basically since the firm started, we had done you know several projects. Um, started with um, Vitruvian Park, which was a, uh, a park that is situated on a, a steep spring in uh, Addison. It's a, you know, all of apartment complex and development around it. And there were some others like Urban Reserve, which is not along White Rock Creek. And there were several of these projects that we noticed that were just along the, um, what we call uh, waterways. And, mm -hmm. and what we've not known to call the branch waters. And so there's all these water branches that... Um, have that go throughout our cities and kevin uh started out with this article um 
it was a uh, publication in Columns Magazine, which is a local AIA Dallas publication. And it talked about the Branch Waters Network. And it talked about really, because a lot of these creeks and rivers and stuff are somewhat forgotten landscapes. And we've kind of turned our back on them. I mean, people put their, I mean, people's backyards next to them it's not the front yard that goes up next to them mm-hmm. it's the it's you know it's the back of i mean as you go along the trinity um strand trail you see all the backs of all these hotels and everything like that it's like well, why aren't we facing these why aren't we using these as you know good things like to highlight development mm-hmm. and organize our development along these you know bastions of nature that you know go throughout our cities and we just and sometimes we've even uh, somewhat destroyed them and made them concrete channels and whatnot, but there's still these were one time these natural waterways, and that was the whole um, concept about the um, that and that was and that one eventually led into um, the idea of rewilding, and it also led into um, D Magazine doing an entire publication back in uh, 2017 called Wild Dallas. Nice. Um, <laughs> which uh, which was focused mainly on the Trinity part, but just you know, uh, wild nature in general. And um, one of the article, it was you know several contributors contributed. It wasn't just us, but there was an article about the Branch Waters Network in there as well. And um, and so it kind of um, kind of developed from there, and we. Um, and got in and went to the kind of the rewilding aspect and and through the Trinity and stuff and um, started getting to different areas of the what was known as the Balanced Vision Plan, which is a a plan to a, a landscape architecture plan for the Trinity River and talked about rewilding the Balanced Vision Plan because for a lot of other reasons I won't get into it hadn't been fully um, realized and so. Um, there's some other things that had developed in there, like as far as another portion of the park. But, um, but yeah, there's a lot of different things that are going on. And then what was it? I was reading this one quote I just wanted to share. We saw it was from a rewild.org, which is a wonderful uh, website and organization that's, you know, talking about rewilding basically the entire planet. And it says this, the wild is extraordinary beyond its colorful animals, plants, fungi, mesmerizing landscapes. What makes the wild so powerful is that it exists around and within all of us. It isn't restricted by political borders. The wild is for the 100%. The wild is alive beneath the cool shade of a tree at the end of the block, just as it is in the most untamed parts of the Amazon. Our livelihood and health of our planet depends on the wild. We all play a role in protecting it. We don't need to reinvent the planet. We just need to rewild it. Yes, I love that, Matt. (laughs) Yeah, I just read that and I was like, man, that was just a wonderful statement. And and it's like, that's that's the kind of like big picture thinking, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, Yes. It was already here. We just got to bring it back. Yes, I I love that concept. And first of all, you have a very cool job. <laughs> Just being able to highlight all these different things and figure out how can we integrate communities and the wild together into one space. And there was something I was watching a video um, that I, I think your studio produced and it was talking about how plans and designs can either foster or frustrate communities. And I loved that concept. And as a fellow at, well, we're Dallas. Are you from Dallas, Matt? Originally, are you a Dallasite? I'm not from originally. I'm actually from a little small town. Um, uh, it's called Clifton. It's it's about uh, 30 miles northwest of Waco. Okay. Well, but you live in Dallas now, so I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna say a fellow Dallasite. <laughs> I I know you definitely can understand the you know public perception of being close to wild spaces and I feel like Mm -hmm. Dallas historically has really tried to you know really over tame and just go to that opposite end of the spectrum in terms of not interacting with the wild so can you tell our listeners a little bit 
about, well, first of all, what constitutes rewilding or wildscaping a space? And how have you seen the perception of that change recently or or over the last several years that you've been with the Kevin Sloan studio? Yeah, it's, so rerouting is more just, it's about balance, I guess. And it's about designing, you know, sites. And the first thing you want to do is, you know, design a program of a species that you want to incorporate into a rewilded site. And that consists of flora and fauna. Because, you know, not everything is appropriate for every site. And maybe you just don't necessarily have the space for everything as well. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, uh, everybody loves pollinators, but not everybody loves bobcats. Um, but, so you have to you have to kind of define what is a, what level of wild that you're kind of the, the site that you're trying to rewild is comfortable Matt, with. My mom had a bobcat in her yard the other I day because she has totally rewilded. Oh wow! No, mine is a wildlife habitat. It's yeah. not totally rewilded. Yeah. No, yeah, but is. I did have a baby bobcat. <laughs> Sorry, we had to interject there, but please keep going. Because that no, that's amazing. There's a there's actually a really good um, Texas Parks and Wildlife I did a very good um, short documentary. It's called Bobcat City. Um, yeah. You can just Google it and find it. And it's, uh, it's them how they're documenting and tracking wild um, bob- bobcats in the DFW area. Wow. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Didn't mean to interrupt, but that was no, a good that's, point that's that you made. You could want pollinators, but maybe not bobcats. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it goes, you start, you know, when you start, you, you start with the plants, you know, it's, it's, and it depends on where you are. If you're wanting to reestablish a prairie, you look at, you know, blackland prairie um, native grasses and stuff and deep root grasses. Or if you're along a waterway, you may look at different trees and stuff that, you know, go along different our waterways. Like there's different species of oaks and cypress trees that, you know, can grow um, native along our waterways. And so then once you kind of establish where you are and what you want to do, then you kind of look at like, okay, well, okay, we're going to have bugs, obviously. We're going to have, you know, um, caterpillars and whatnot and different, all these different species of bugs. And then you start looking, okay, well, what kind of pollinators do we want bees? Do we want, or do we want to just mostly butterfly attracting plants? Um, things like that. And then you, and you look at the birds versus, um, you have your indigenous birds, like, you know, our typical songbirds, like your cardinals and your blue jays and your mockingbirds. Or then you have, you know, um, if you're like extra waterway, maybe you have your uh, migratory birds, like your, you know, your waterfowl, your, your ducks, your geese, those types of things. And then also in migratory, you also had the monarch butterflies. And then, um, and then you work in the mammals. I mean, you have, um, uh, rabbits, you know, uh, all the way up to bobcats and different things. And so you're basically just trying to determine what you want to do because if you introduce something, you may attract something else that actually creates some sort of a food chain. <laughs> um, because if you, if you do bring in the bunny, you might bring in the bobcat because the bobcat's there to eat the bunny. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so you just have to, you just have to kind of, um, think about what you want to do. And it, and it can be, um, really simple. I mean, we actually did a little, uh, little document is like how to build a pocket prairie oh um, matt you're preaching yeah. to the choir guess who just uh ripped up so again i've said this a few times in the podcast and i don't know if the city of dallas is going to come find my home and and <laughs> yell at me but we ripped up the grass like the sod basically in the strip between our sidewalk and the street. So there's okay. like that strip that was just yeah, empty. Yeah, caught the tree lawn. Yeah, thank you. We ripped that up <laughs> and, we, and we planted Blackland Prairie seed mix. And okay. we even made a little sign. It's not even that little. It's like this, like a sizable sign and I have all this like educational stuff on there so my neighbors know what it is so they won't you know yell at me and get frustrated but that also goes to my original question which is the perception of wildscaping right um yeah I know a lot of people in my mom's neighborhood would really be upset about a blackland prairie strip in the you know next to their home in Oak Cliff where I live people are more chill about it so I was like yeah I think I can get away with this but how do you feel like people 
perceive these rewilding projects because they're not always like perfectly tidy and manicured and, and whatnot, but they serve a much larger purpose. No, it, yeah, it, it is difficult and ultimately this comes about communication to the people about it. Like you putting that sign out there actually, you know, shows that, hey, I'm not just not mowing my yard. This is for a purpose. <laughs> and so, hopefully they think it's like a legitimate project and not just some homemade thing. So <laughs> I yeah, wanted I to mean, put like it, it, city of Dallas, but I decided not to get in trouble. <laughs> Yeah, and there's there's different um, what is that Clarendon where there's like a, a wildflower strip of there and it actually says wildflower area no mo area mm-hmm. like to, because people it's there's this um, you know it's 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 the whole issue of blight and stuff like that where people see a um, an overgrown landscape and they think oh well, someone's just not taking care of it they're not doing their job and that's because we just have this. Uh, this romanticism about the European and English landscape that we all come on. But I mean, in actuality, we're um, down, DFW is on the same latitude as North Africa and Baghdad. <laughs> we're not. We're not anywhere close to Europe. I mean, it, I think uh, New York is on like the same latitude as maybe Rome. <laughs> Killed me, Matt. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's so true, though. It is so true. It is very true. Um, and so it's, I mean, it's just like, I mean, just pull out a globe. Anybody, well, I mean, if someone has saw the globe around there, I don't know if people still have globes in their house. I didn't run out of the kid. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, things like that. And then um, we do run into it a lot when we do um, native plant installations. Like, for instance, we did a, a, a project. It's a Singing Hills Recreation Center kind of in the, uh, um, so I guess it's I guess it's technically South Dallas. I'm not exactly sure where South Dallas begins and ends. Um, but it had a it was a lead project, meaning it had uh, certain requirements to get a, a lead certification, which is all about energy, you know, independence and uh, energy sustainability and that kind of stuff. But it's mostly focused on the building. But there is a landscape component to it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did a, a Blackland Prairie kind of a native grass installation because basically to get a certain credit you can establish you can water to establishment but then you have to turn the irrigation off and you can't irrigate it anymore mm-hmm. and well, we did that and I think it's been successful so far but the um, there started some community members started complaining to their um, council person about it and they're like oh it's overgrown and everything like that we're like no it's not overgrown and, like, and they want to mow it and like well, you, no don't mow it don't mow it <laughs> It's not, that's not the point. If you mow it, it's not going to work. Yeah, exactly. And so it's just, and so they're, they're working on like some signage and stuff to put up around it. So that's when it mostly comes down to, I mean, education. Um, Another project we did was, uh, it was for a a residential client. They're actually, uh, and he wanted basically a no mow, no irrigate landscape. And this is kind of before our rewilding days, but, um, it was, you know, it was basically a, a mixture of different native grasses, mostly lower, and I think there was even a, a non-native, like, love grass mixed in there. And and he lives in kind of a, a the Preston Hollow area, and Ooh. he started getting complaints <laughs> about his, his yard being overgrown. And, but he's a very formal person, so he doesn't... Um, really he, he doesn't take no for an answer he just kind of keeps chugging along so um but yeah i mean it is it i think it is getting better um like a the north haven trail where we had we were involved in the um because more um, master plan effort had a lot of had the big area of uh, uh wildflower areas and stuff like that so i mean you start seeing a lot of this implemented, and so I think people are becoming more accustomed to it. Um, the George Bush Library is another mm-hmm. good example mm-hmm. um, because that has, like, you know, it shows people this is what the landscape is really supposed to look like um, where you're standing. I mean, it's like the Blackland Prairie. There's only what one tenth of one percent. Yes, of, of per my original. sign, that's what it says. Only one tenth of one percent left. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually, uh, could I? I Technically, don't live in Dallas. I actually live in Ennis, and we have a, a prairie. A park is called the Kachina Prairie. It's thirty acres of uh, original Blackland Prairie. Really, that's well, awesome. Those are on. Those are hard to find nowadays. Yeah, it's a uh, it's, it's it's a it's city land, so it, it won't be developed. Um, 
and I'm on the parks board, so I want to make sure as long as I'm on you the go board, for it, Matt. Good. <laughs> yeah, it's. I mean, it's. So yeah, I think it is becoming better, especially. Um, I mean, all the rain we have now is great, but it. it there was more of a, 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 a desire for native plants, you know, however many years ago when we were. Um, in that severe drought period mm-hmm. because people couldn't water their grass and stuff so like that they were looking for ways to not have to water as much but now they're in this these huge deluge cycles like we're in where basically our spring it's just um, nothing but rainy days and uh, non-sunny skies almost well last week we were visiting with uh, two of the volunteers over at the north haven trails well the fronts of the north haven trails and i know that y'all did the design for that uh for we did the master plan there's a there's been a re kind of effort on the, of the master plan of it and we did a master planning effort of it yes okay hokey doke well they had talked about how they have really had to make an an effort to educate people about ha- not cutting the why they're not cutting the grass and whatnot and do y'all i mean this is kind of the for uh, the cutting edge of well i guess no pun intended but the cutting edge of landscape design is this wildscaping and how do y'all educate people on this and how can you are have you do y'all see very many people wanting to have more wildscaping and I'm going to add one more element to that. How do you educate people on on like the overall environmental impact of your work and your design and how important it is to keep that in mind, whether I mean, it, whether or not it is wildscaping, right? But yes. as you were saying, like I just loved you loved hearing you talk about you know what plants you you get will attract certain animals. Like you're not just thinking about things in a silo you're thinking about them in a system from a systems perspective so how do you educate people on just the overall environmental impact Uh, i think we're still learning on the best ways to do that um i don't know that i have a good answer it kind of depends on the person and it depends on the client i would say not every project is a rewilding project that we do because it's just it's just um the owner or something just may not be interested in that. Mm-hmm. But I think um, in terms of education, there's definitely, um, you have to tell them, I mean, yeah, there's a certain decrease in, you know, um, the monarch butterfly. What was I was reading? It was uh, oh. uh, monarchs. There's been a 97% decline since the 1970s, yeah. which is dramatic. Uh, terrible. Like, uh, there's, there are 1.5 billion fewer breeding birds than 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, things like that. And it, it, if it's the right kind of client that you can tell that someone that's interested and has, like, some, even if it's just a vague interest in it, um, those are the ones we kind of identify and try to sell on these things. Uh, especially if it's a public client, because those can give um, the opportunity to, um, to educate people. For instance, we have a, a park not a park project, but a, a landscaping project in downtown Richardson. And on one corner, we have a little pollinator garden. Now, I mean, the rest of the rest of the landscape isn't a wild landscape by any means. I wish it was, but um, but that's you know they only have you know that's only so much you can do in a public realm. And so we do try to always find a there's always something that you can do to bring a little wild into it. And so. Um, but yeah, and then, um, but yes, the signage also, like we said, also helps with the identification. But yeah, I think we're still trying to figure that out, the best way to to kind of educate people. And obviously, the writing Kevin has done throughout um, helps uh, bring up the issue because in the, you know, publications like the Dallas Morning News and stuff that a lot of people see. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's got, I think that's usually the best way if we can, we can get stuff out there that people actually read and... Um, like we started then our Instagram account, we uh, do a, we're, we're trying to get it back up and going. We, for a while, we're doing a plant of the week, you know, and trying to focus more on like native type plants and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So. Well, also, you know, putting, I, I, I think just your work speaks for itself and putting it, especially as you said, in public places where people think 
see that it's cool, you know, for lack of a better word, because for example, like the North Haven trail, so many people are using that trail and so many people are enjoying the wildflowers. And when they see a couple of signs and read a couple of things, the, the lady we were talking with said, that she has seen that when people know why you're doing something, they're much more open to the idea. So when you talk about the birds and the monarchs and the impact, um, that it, they're, they're much more open to it. And we were also talking to someone, um, who works at a local, a local garden center. And he was saying that he has also seen a shift in people who come and buy plants. They no longer are just looking for something that it's just pretty. They're asking like, what does this plant do for the environment? Which is, it is like very, you know, it gives you hope that people are, are realizing that we impact our overall ecosystem with the plants that we choose and the, and the landscape designs that we implement. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, that's good that, like, people are thinking about that because, I mean, the invasives and stuff like that are a problem. Um, uh, I was listening to uh, um, a talk the other day about um, uh, Doug Talame. Um, oh, yeah. The expert in rewilding and um, talking about how, well, the, in, you know, the non-native plants are great in the fact that they look good and they grow and everything like that. They don't promote biological diversity because they just haven't been here long enough for the for the things that we you know our 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 insects and our um, birds and stuff to like depend on them for um food source and whatnot and for instance uh, i have a couple of yopons in my front yard which are native trees Mm -hmm. and during the freeze every single berry on that tree was gone yeah (laughs) yeah ate every single thing it was just and even the leaves sometimes too i mean they were just so starved for food they were looking for anything anywhere um it just looked like a, a war zone underneath my uh, yopon tree <laughs> but other things that i have that maybe they aren't native i mean they didn't really do anything to it because they don't eat, they don't see that as a food source because eventually i mean yeah if you go out like 500 years from now maybe that's the case but none of us will be alive then so yeah. <laughs> um but that it, makes total sense. I'd never really thought about it from that simple perspective, which is they just haven't been here long enough. Like the wildlife possibly could eat it, but they just haven't necessarily evolved to figure to figure out how to incorporate that into their diet, which makes so much sense. And I love seeing my plants like add to the native plant, you know, fauna interactions, especially like all the butterflies. And actually there was a little bird fledgling that was learning how to fly in my yard. Mm -hmm. It was a little blue jay and he was trying to hop up on our sunflower stems and they weren't thick enough for him. And he was destroying our sunflowers, but I didn't care. I was like, you go little bird, you got this. (laughs) He eventually made it to the top of the fence. I sat there and watched him for like two hours. It was great. Has he flown away? Yet? yeah he's gone he's gone oh. off to bigger skies i know oh. it was so great though to watch and it was it was just fun it, this has been the first spring that are i've planted a lot a lot i think pretty much only native and adapted mm-hmm. plants in my in my garden and this is the first spring that it's really really well established and we've gotten to see so much more wildlife and we also this is the first year that we've had a couple of feeders consist bird feeders consistently out and we've had just like families of birds and all of these things and it's just so much more fulfilling to see that your garden is not just bringing you joy but it's also adding to the ecosystem i feel like this is what we have to understand like we have this space and i see it as our personal responsibility to use it in a way that promotes that biodiversity that you were talking about it's i Uh, And I know you can't say this to your clients, but if you ever want me to give them a call, (laughs) you can just let me know because I see it as selfish to be quite honest if you just decide nah i want only exotic non-native plants and i just want my grass to look green Mm -hmm. all year round like i get looking aesthetically pleasing i'm all for that but we we have the responsibility to do something more and yeah so we try to stay in the native realm um there i mean 
it, when you get into certain things, there's a certain things that natives aren't good for because a lot of our natives around here are more um, sun-loving plants. So there's mm. not a lot of good ones for shade, shade areas. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's, that's one true. thing. Um, there's like there's some grasses that can do well in shade, but not a lot of like um, flowering shrubs. I guess is mm-hmm. there's there's it's, it's you, there's some limitations to the native landscape. But yeah, we definitely try like ornamental grasses. We use a lot of those. Um, that are you know mostly native grasses um and so um yeah and then you, you bring up a good point um just uh, one thing i wanted to touch on was just uh it, where can i guess rewilding occur and there's you know there's in more of this big swaths because i mean we all think about our little home landscape but there's you know a lot of land out there and one reason that's because because um you may not believe this but you know DFW area is comprised of about 13 counties and um, there's about about 7.5 million people mm-hmm. and so if you kind of look at the area that is that's about one person per acre in oh, terms wow. of density that's amazing and, like for example San Francisco is 27 and New York is over 100 it's oh. also Paris and Hong Kong Boulder Colorado is four Boulder Colorado is four times denser than DFW now, now, granted, that's you're taking the average. You're kind of spreading everybody out across the land. Now, yeah. like areas like downtown and some of the different areas are more dense. But when you in like uptown, those are more dense areas. But when you take all population spread out, it's over. Um, but so then that does that lead to a lot of land, kind of just that isn't necessarily or needed space, I guess. And so, I guess there's kind of three levels of hierarchy that you can focus on. And the first one is like right-of-ways of highways and railroads. Um, for whatever reason, we mosey is like they're a golf course. <laughs> Why? I don't know. <laughs> Why does TechStot do that? I don't know. Um, they're or, getting better at it, though, by the way, because yeah. they've gotten, you know, they've, they've realized that they're mowing all of this milkweed yeah. and they're mm-hmm. killing this monarch you know food source so they're trying and they have a lot of work to do but yes i'm there with you <laughs> they're yeah, not well, golf yeah, and also they, they, the, the species they plant is like why these could easily be rewild landscapes because mm-hmm. you don't have to worry about things coming in there because these aren't spaces that humans necessarily occupy we drive yeah. by them yes but we don't i mean who cares if there's rodents living in the grasses because someone's going to go out there and walk. Yes. And that's kind of the first level. It's a pretty easy kind of thing to attack because, I mean, it's already, you know, vacant land as it is. Another one is these kind of cultivated landscapes of these, you know, big office parks and whatnot. And, but there's, there's land next to the building that people do use, but there's also these big swaths of land that like a a human's foot, except for a maintenance person, probably never even steps on. Mm Mm-hmm. And especially uh, detention ponds. These are these, you know, I've, you've probably seen them. There's these big depressions in the earth. And so there's detention and there's retention. Retention means you hold water and you keep it for, you know, it's always had water. And detention means you just hold water for a short period of time and allow it to fact, uh, go into the natural drainage cycle. But mostly say these are all grass. And there's no reason why that couldn't be a reconstituted prairie because that's also going to be better able to handle that, um, you know, periods of wet and dry it's going to be able to it's going to also help with you know filtering out some of the toxins that some of that runoff interjects into the landscape and so that's your your second level of hierarchy and then the third level is what i was talking about this branch waters area is this network of creeks and um and well ma- mainly just the trinity river that's about the only major river we have in our area and you kind of do that you remove all the invasive plants and because there are quite a few yeah. in that and remove all those and and replace it with a rewilded landscape that is you know it was it's been here it knows how to handle these periods of flood and drought and so things like that um and that's kind of a way to kind of introduce the rewild landscape at a broader scale yeah and not just so much at a small scale where i mean yeah everybody should do a proxy prairie if everybody did like a you know a little 12 by 12 prairie in their backyard it would that would be a lot of Ferry across the Metroplex. I know. Well, listen, TechStot, if you're listening, call Matt Stubbs because yes. he knows how to solve your problems. <laughs> but it's true. It's so true. And I love that, 
you painted, you, you put it on the scale that makes us go like, whoa, one person per acre in Texas. We have so much land here. And again, that comes with a lot of responsibility. And there are a lot of, as you just listed, easy, low hanging fruit areas. We don't, that people don't even have to worry about interacting with if they don't want, but they're just there and they can be doing something better for our environment if we just rewilded them. I love that. Matt, brilliant. I loved that. <laughs> well, and I wanted to ask you, where where do you get your influences? How how do you come up with these new wonderful ideas? Uh, I mean, I would love to take all the credit to you. I mean, Kevin was had always been the um, inspiration and the kind of leading the charge of this office. And so I've always been very inspired by him. He's my mentor and uh, my personal friend. And so that, and then just, um, you know, just um, just picking up articles here or there. I mean, there are a lot of, like, different things that um, you see. Uh, like, for instance, uh, I, I'm a member of the American Society of Landscape Architects, which is an organization of, of landscape architects, and a wonderful resource if anybody that's interested about landscape architecture. Um, and we have our state chapter here in Texas. We have a, a conference every year. Um, this year, we actually got to hold it in person again. Ooh, and, nice. um, uh, and so there's a lot of different um, good topics that people present. And some of them, that's, you know, it kind of, I find it good because it's also, we have to get continuing education for, we have a landscape architect license for the state and you have to do so many hours per year. And that's the main reason, that's the main reason a lot of us go, but it's also, you know, it's, it is educational and it helps you think about different things that maybe you weren't thinking about before. Yeah. 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 I, I mean, back in my day, I was, when you were mentioning lead, that was my world for a while. I was the sustainability manager for an architecture and construction firm here in Dallas. So I did all that lead stuff. I was knee deep in the lead documentation. I know Matt, you're, you're like, Oh, yikes. It was, it was, it was super interesting, but green build was our annual conference. And I do remember going and just loving I was that person that rarely ever went to the expo hall even though you should but I just stayed to all the classes and I was just like taking all the notes and Mm -hmm. I loved kind of getting those new ideas and those new sparks so I totally I totally feel you there that's conferences are a great great way to do that um well I'm gonna we're gonna start wrapping up this public portion and I know mom she always ends with a question so she's okay. gonna she's gonna ask you something and Bring just on the fastball yes that's it yeah get ready um and for our listeners for those of y'all who are on patreon with us matt is going to spend some extra time with us in the bonus section going through some plans that they have and kind of just highlighting some of the key aspects of their different designs and whatnot so it's going to be a really really fun behind the scenes with the kevin sloan studio but before i hand you over to mom my final question is in your opinion, what would be the best case scenario? Like what's the perfect world in which landscaping and like landscape architecture and environmental protection work together? How does that look like for you? And what do you feel as though are some of the main obstacles that we as a society or that the industry is facing to be able to get there? Um, I would say some of the main obstacles are just uh, cities that just require you to mow your lawn just at certain heights all the time. I mean, I know some that are really aggressive and like if you don't mow it for a week, you're getting a notice in the mail. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think adjusting some of our codes and ordinances to allow for some of this stuff. Now, maybe there's like you have to apply for a special permit or something like that to where you have a in your your a dedicated rewilded landscape, so it's just not allowing that someone that owns a lot and just doesn't want to mow it just doesn't. Oh, I'm a rewild landscape. No, you're not. You're just being lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> so things like that. I mean, and because that could be a because I think that is one challenge that a lot of these uh, from a homeowner's perspective, uh, these things happen. And then um, 
and it would also help. I mean, it, there are some uh, cities that actually require certain um, uh, types of uh, um, rain gardens that become a big thing. And so you can kind of um, create those. They kind of filter and maintain runoff. Mm-hmm. And those can be um, – so more of that kind of stuff um, and just uh, focusing more on the native plant species um, that help all of these flora and or all the flora or the fauna help it you know establish and create those food sources for all these um, insects, birds, and um, whatnot. But I think that would be a really good way to um, kind of and 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 again, I think we've already talked about it. But just educating, yeah. Um, like cities need to do a better job of educating the public on different options available to them and some do a good job but they sometimes rely a little bit too much on um, maybe the, the non-profits like the Native Plant Society of Texas or the Master Gardeners those types of things which are great organizations but they do you know I mean that they they need the funding to kind of help you know promote that platform yeah um, and so so I, I would think if, if cities could partner with those types of organizations to um kind of uh, help that. I mean, the another great organization, the Botanical Research Institute of Texas, the Brit in Fort Worth. Mm-hmm, fabulous yes. organization, fabulous people. We've done some work with them. Um, everybody everybody there just always seemed excited to go to work every day. <laughs> Which is a <laughs> good sign. Yards are nice and great people. I want to... <laughs> I love that. But it's, yes. I, I love that point that you make because we talk about it a lot on the podcast as well. There's, you know, your own personal action and your own personal change, but then policy and governmental regulations really do help take it to that next level, mm-hmm. whether it is requiring you to do something or in your case, I love your example, allowing you to do something. I will have to say we do not have a permit for our pocket prairie strip, so I will let you know if we get in trouble with the city of Dallas. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think there's a permit to get right yeah, I, I think that, I'm that's just that's a possibility. Like if you went down there and like, hey, I want a permit for a real landscape, it probably look like you grew a second head yeah that's true so we are going to ask for forgiveness instead of permission on this front but (laughs) there's numerous times where i wish i would have done that that same thing (laughs) um, where it actually ended up causing me more trouble because i just didn't do something like yeah yeah just just go ahead and build it just do it yeah just do it yeah because it's the right thing to do it is it is the right thing to do so anyways okay matt here is our final question that we ask everyone what do you think is the most important thing that each individual can do to help reverse global warming and climate change I told you to get ready, Matt. I told you. It's like good cop, bad cop over here. That one singed my nose hairs. No one has ever said that before, Matt. I like that. Hilarious. I would say, I, th- I think the little pocket prairie thing would be a good way to do it. Because <laughs> yes. if you just introduce a little bit of, the, you know, in our case, the Blackland Prairie or where, wherever, I mean, or if you're not in a prairie, I mean, if you're in the Piney Woods, whatever your native landscape, just trying to inter- reintroduce part of that into your little ecosystem um, yeah. could be a really good way. And because, I mean, I, I, you know, read things about, uh, grasses and the carbon sequestration of them and stuff mm-hmm. like that because um, that is important. So um, I think that yeah. would be a good way just to, to, you know, like the little prairie strips or just some little thing. Yeah. Even, mm-hmm. if it's just, even if it's just changing out the shrubs in your front yard yeah. to things, I mean, you don't have to necessarily do redo your lawn as a, you know, um, inhabit turf or something like that. Just, um, you know, do with uh, just plant some more native shrubs and maybe find a little bit of milkweed that's you know a house plant for monarchs things like that yeah just do something well doug Tallamy would definitely agree with you because doesn't yes. he say like that's the his his whole shtick is that's the best thing that we could all be doing mm-hmm. is mm-hmm. basically convert our own gardens and our own lawns into native 
ecosystems and native environments. So Doug Talmy is right there with you, Matt. <laughs> he agrees. But I agree. Yeah, like, just do something. Landscape than I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But just do something. Just start somewhere, right? I mean, if it's with shrubs, and do that. But I totally, I totally agree. And listen, you should drive by and see my pocket prairie sometime. Let it grow. Give it some time. But then I'm going <laughs> to okay. send you some photo updates and see what you think. And I'm well, sure- okay. A good, a good thing on a native grasses, especially in certain areas where if it's something that somebody wants to do that um, we kind of developed a process because um, native grasses take a long time to get to full maturity because mm-hmm. um, they're deep rooted. And so you always had this problem of weeds and stuff in the native grasses. Yeah. So what we found is really effective is this, um, it was suggested to us by a, a company, is this idea of a cover crop. Mm. And so you plant this cover crop and there's other different ones. Like they're usually like some type of crop grass, like millet is a good one. Um, dependent, independent on the exposure and stuff, uh, or the time of year. Um, there's different oats and stuff that are also good ones. Um, so that's a fast germinating grass. So it comes up and it looks green immediately. So you don't have this barren land. It helps keep out the weeds. And then the natives come up and kind of outcompete it. And um, then they outcompete it. And eventually the cover crop goes away and you just have the native grasses behind. And that's um, one way we found that um, to make them more successful, especially in our commercial projects, because people aren't very tolerant of seeing ground for a period of time. <laughs> oh, and we have some wildflowers sprinkled in too, so it, yeah. there's stuff coming up. But if you wouldn't mind sending your, because I think you just showed us earlier that y'all have this how-to pocket prairie, right? Mm-hmm. I would love yeah. to get some, some information from, yeah, and then we'll make that available to our Patreon members as well. So, yeah. Matt, Thank you so much for spending time with us. We so appreciate it. And we loved chatting with you about all of y'all's amazing work and how you're reintroducing the wild into our cities. And um, I know obviously that people can go to y'all's website, kevinsloanstudio.com. How else can people follow you or get in touch? Um, we have our Instagram account is at Kevin Studio, Kevin Sloan Studio. Um, also, um, I believe our Facebook is also at Kevin Sloan Studio. And then um, they can also just email me if they want to. Um, my Matt Stubbs, my email is ms for Matt Stubbs, ms at kevinsloanstudio.com. Awesome. Awesome, Matt. Well, thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and can't wait to spend more time with you in our bonus episode. So thank you much. Thank you so much for your time and expertise. We really appreciate it. Thank you all for having me. Thank you.